One of the things that I love about coming to family vacation is the fact that uh, it is like a big family. You know, I uh, think about whenever I get here and I'm looking around and, you know, obviously me being not a student, I start looking for campus ministers and some of you that I like to tease with. And, you know, you go to a family reunion, you see family you haven't seen in a long time, but you still pick at each other and play with each other and have a good time. And, you know, I get here and I'm like looking around, I'm like, okay, where's Donnie at? Where's Mackie at? Where's Lynn at? Where's... And I start looking for all these people, right? And there's like this anticipation about getting here and seeing them and like the doors to the bus open up, like standing there waiting for Donnie, you know, because I'm excited to see him. Like, I love him. And uh, he, he's, we've known each other for, it seems like a long time now. And uh, I get excited to see him. I get excited to see Lynn and Carol. And I get excited to see all these people. I get excited to see some of you students who I like to tease every year about how you can't seem to beat us in the X Games. And I look for, you know, <laughs> I had to throw that in there. Come on. It was fun. Uh, you know, but I get excited because uh, we really are like a big family. And one of the things that's really cool about family is you get to share a lot of things together. And I think about the times whenever I've gotten to get up here and uh, I always tell myself when I'm going to do a lesson, okay, Carrie, you're not going to get up there, you're not going to cry, you're not going to make a fool of yourself. And then every time I get up here, I obviously do all of those things. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know how many of you guys remember this, but uh, I was sharing, you know, some stuff with you, I don't know if it was last year or the year before, about relationships from my past and friends from my past. Anybody remember that? And I, was, and I showed you guys some pictures like this first picture here. Like, uh, I remember sitting here and I was telling you about my friends here. And, uh, dang it, um, and uh, telling you about the heartbreak, you know, you look and you, and you, you reach out to people and you love people and you, and, they, and you pull them into a family and they're brothers. And, I, and every time I look at this picture, uh, my heart's heavy because every time I looked at it, I saw my guys, I saw me and Marlon, Cameron, and Tim and James, and I looked at it and it's heartbreaking. And it's also heartbreaking because I look like that. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, you know, those were guys that I was on a journey with. Uh, we were close, and uh, they were a part of God's family. And then to watch over the years that disintegrate, is, it's a heartbreaking, horrible thing to deal with. And I know some of you experienced that. Anybody experienced that in here? People who you pulled into this God's family, and then they walk away, and your heart's broken because you long for them to have that again. And then pictures like this next one would pop up on the Internet, and I would see it on their feeds and I would be heartbroken again because I'd be like, man, that's not the way it's supposed to be. I know what's going on in their lives here. And I can look in their hands and see what they're holding. And it was devastating to look at that. And, uh, but the cool thing is about family is we get to share, like, the hurts together of being here. And we get to share the hard times that we go through in ministry. And it's difficult. But we also get to share joys. And... I remember talking to you guys and telling you how much I prayed for my friends, and I wanted you guys to do the same. And the next picture is a picture just a few weeks ago, and Marlon and James are in that picture with me, and they're here with us tonight. And that's an awesome thing. And that's why I had that creepy, excited look on my face right there, you know? Uh, James, Merle, stand up for a second, would you? Your boys back there, have, have the boys stand up too. So. Uh, and it's cool to see God work and to do things and restore relationships, but I believe that God only does that whenever his people are doing what they're supposed to be doing. And, you know, we come this weekend and we're talking about reclaiming first century power and purpose. And the reason for that is, is that we come from a movement that calls itself the what? 
the restoration movement. And what were they trying to restore? They were trying to restore what took place before, what happened in the first century. Because when you open the book of Acts, I don't believe that you can be a disciple and open the book of Acts and not be in awe of what took place and not have a burning desire and a longing to say, God, I want to see you do that right now. I want to see you do those kind of things where I look into the scriptures and I see that the Bible says that people looked and they said this group of people took the whole world and they flipped it upside down. And I want to be a part of that. I want to be somebody who does that. And so we were talking about, man, what do we want to do? What we want to do is we want to reclaim that. We want to say, you know what? This is what you designed us to be. God, this is what the church should look like. And we want to grab a hold of that. And we want to take that back home. And tonight, I want us to be able to look at the scriptures and look at the book of Acts. And I want us to have a response. I want us to respond to what God is trying to get happening. We started out the weekend by opening up God's word and we look in Acts chapter 1. And originally, my lesson was supposed to be called re-engage. And it was out of Acts 18, right? Acts 18. Scratch that. Uh, The more I thought about it, I I just really felt like, man, we started in Acts 1. I want us to end in Acts 28. And I want us to think about everything that took place between those two ends and say, what was it that God was doing? What, What do I want to respond to? What do I want to have in my life? Because at the end of that book, what happens is after... All these incredible things have taken place. Don't you think that the Jewish people and the Gentiles around them, the Jewish people especially, don't you think after everything they saw took place that they would finally respond to Jesus? That they would finally wake up and they would look and they would say, I get it now. He was the Messiah. We messed up. Let's go change the world. Let's tell everybody about what happened. That is what you would hope would happen. I know that every time we have a retreat. Every time we come to family vacation, every time we do our refocus retreat in the fall, my hope is that people will look and they will see God so clearly and they will see so clearly what happened in the book of Acts and in the word of God that they'll go, I get it and I want it and I want to take it to everybody else. And that's what should have happened at the end of the book. But what happens in Acts chapter 28, when you're looking around verse, I'm going to read verse 20 and then 22 through 27. He says, I am bound by these chains because of what we people of Israel hope for. That's why I've called you here to talk about this hope of ours. The leaders replied and they they say some things. They say, we understand that people everywhere are against this new group. They agreed upon a time to meet with Paul and many of them came to his house. From early morning until late afternoon, Paul talked to them about God's kingdom. He used the law of Moses and the books of the prophet to try to win them over to Jesus. And some of the leaders agreed with what Paul said, but others did not. But since they couldn't agree amongst themselves, they just started leaving. But Paul said, the Holy Spirit said the right thing when he sent Isaiah the prophet to tell our ancestors. Go to these people and tell them, you will listen and listen, but you'll never understand. You will look and you'll look, but you will never see. All of you have stubborn hearts. Your ears are stopped up and your eyes are covered and you cannot see and you can't hear or understand. And if you could, you would turn to me and I would heal you. After everything that they've seen take place over the years of the book of Acts, all the great things that Jesus did, him resurrecting, him coming back, the start of the church, the people being healed, thousands of people becoming disciples. Here is Paul at the end saying, I... I need the Jewish people to get it. I need you to respond to Jesus. And you notice it says he, he sits there and, he, and there's all these things going on. 
And, and he's sitting there from like early morning till late. He's there for hours telling them. We come to retreats and we sit here and we listen to lesson after lesson after lesson after lesson. And the people who have planned this retreat and your campus ministers and the people who are teaching these classes, they're sitting there just like Paul in hopeful anticipation saying, I just hope they get it. I hope they grab a hold of it. I hope they take it home. And specifically for different individuals in my ministry, just like your campus ministers, they're looking and they're saying, man, I hope this person gets this this weekend. I hope they grasp this concept that I've been trying to tell them forever. Maybe some other minister is going to say it in some way that I couldn't, and it's going to break through their hard-heartedness, and they're going to see that the way they've been living and the things they've been doing and their behaviors and their attitudes are wrong, and God is going to do something phenomenal. And oh, Please let that happen this weekend. That's what we desire for. That's what we long. That's what Paul is doing when he's here with these people. He's wanting a response. And we, we, have a, we, we got to respond this week into what God is wanting to do. You know, you look, at, you look at what Paul says. He says, because of what the people of Israel hope for, that is what I've called you here to talk about this hope of ours. We have to respond because, see, Israel had been longing and waiting and hoping for the Messiah for so long because they believed that when he got there, everything would change. And they believed that their lives would be different and that they would be free and that they would be people who were able to have the kind of lives they'd always longed for. They'd no longer be enslaved. They'd no longer be ridiculed and be looked down upon. And here they are and God, they've, they've got the great hope that they've been waiting for in Jesus right there, right in front of them. And as college students, you know, coming up as you grew up, you got to college and you look and you went to school and you longed for something different. You wanted a good life. You couldn't wait to get out from underneath, you know, the, the parental units, right? You wanted to go and you wanted to have your own life. And you told yourself, man, I'm going to build a great life. And you had a hope for what your life would look like. And then you ran into some people from a campus ministry and they tried and helped show you that, listen, you are never going to have the life you hope for outside of Jesus Christ. But with him, you have great hope and incredible things can happen, but you've got to respond to him. It isn't just going to magically happen overnight that your life is just going to get better. He requires a response. And I think about when I sit down with students and I talk to them about those things and the response I want them to have, and I want them to surrender their lives to God. And I think about what their lives could be like, and I hope and I dream for their futures. But I know, I know well that they have got to want it. I can't respond to the call of Jesus for anyone. Neither can you. It's a decision that each person has to make. And here's Paul. And I can just imagine what's going on inside of him because I felt that same thing as he's telling these people about Jesus. As he's telling them, you are about to miss out on your greatest hopes and dreams. You're about to pass them by. Please listen. And he, and he ends up having to look at him and say, you know what? The prophets were right. The Holy Spirit was spot on. You're going to miss it. You've, you're you're going to let it go. It's going to pass right by you. And, I can, and can you imagine the disappointment? If any of you have ever studied the word of God with someone you love deeply and they refused to surrender to Christ, they refused to buy into the hope, you know that feeling, that, that, that pit of your stomach feeling that you get, right? When you're just like, man, it's so sad because everything they long for is right there and they can reach out and they can grab a hold of it and they can take it. And they're just looking at it and they're like, eh, maybe later, maybe some other time, maybe when I get older. And it's so heartbreaking. But you see, he was trying to get them to respond and he was thinking at this point would be a great time because there's a lot to respond to. You know, this weekend, 
There are, some, there are some central themes in the book of Acts. There are some things that take place that I would think people would look at and, I, and would, would say, I need to respond to this. I need to change. I need to be different. I need to respond. And this weekend, you've heard lesson after lesson, and pe- people have put things in front of you, and they're saying, please respond. Please do this. Please, please take hold of this. Take it home and change and be different. And as I started looking through, I'm like, what are some of those things? One of the things that I think that we've got to respond to and understand from the book of Acts is conversion. Truly dying to self and, ri- and rising up into Christ. You know, when you look at the book of Acts, it's, it's such a, an incredible thing to see all of the conversions. And you know, you, you start out with Acts 2. And Jesus has said, listen, everything is going to change. It's going to be different. It's better than I'm leaving because you're going to have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You're going to have all these things that you never had before. You are going to become a completely new creation. You're going to die and you're going to be raised to life again. And in Acts chapter 2, you see this massive conversion. You see this massive death, death to self where people say, I'm no longer going to live, but Christ is going to live in me. And I'm going to go out and I'm going to spread the word to everyone else. In Acts 2, you see 3,000 people on the, on the day of Pentecost give their lives to Christ, convert their hearts. And then you just start walking down chapter after chapter after chapter. You've got the 3,000 at Pentecost, the 2,000 at Solomon's Porch. You have the Samaritan Acts chapter 8. Also, you have the Ethiopian eunuch. What an incredible story. You know, then you keep going. Saul, another just awesome story. And and he's converted from from hating Jesus and persecuting these people to becoming the man who who a lot of people say, man, if it wasn't for him, Christianity might have just faded away if it wasn't for this man. You look at Cornelius and his whole household, the two households at Philippi, the Athenians, the Corinthians, the 12 disciples of John, and you just go book after book after book after book, and you see these people being converted from one way of thinking, one way of living, to living in Christ. And you look through that passage, and over and over and over again, in all those conversion stories, you see baptism, and you see this picture of what God is telling us happens at our baptism. And I think we need to ask ourselves, have I really responded to Jesus in the way that I needed to? Have I really converted my life? Whether you've been baptized or not, because to be quite honest, a lot of people feel like they're just, they're good to go because they took a bath. And that's not the way that it works. It's about the conversion that takes place. It's not about getting dunked in water. Not everybody who jumps off the high dive is a Christian. We get that, right? They go under, they're submerged. No, it's about a conversion of life. It's about dying to self and being raised anew. For some of you may be looking and say, man, I've never done that. You need to respond to the hope that's in Jesus. You have an opportunity to convert your whole life to something so much better. But are you going to respond to that offering that God has for you to convert from this brokenness and this hurt and this pain and this sin that you're living in to a life filled with love, to a life filled with hope and dreams and and an incredible future where you're helping other people's lives be changed? Are you going to buy into that? Some of you have never done that. Sit down with someone and let them open the word of God with you and respond to your opportunity to convert your life from what it is to something so much more powerful and incredible. Some of you, you look and you say, man, I've done that. I've been baptized and look at where my life's at. Examine your hearts. Ask yourself, was I really converted or, or did I just get dunked? Because one of the things we like to say at the crossings and we talk about this in our meetings sometimes, it's not about the dunk, it's about the death. It's about the death that takes place when you lay down your old self and you say, I'm going to be something completely different when I come out of here. 
Have you done that? Have you truly responded? When you read this and you see people's lives change in the Bible, is that what took place in your life? Was it a conversion that when people looked at your life, they're going, what happened to this dude? He was something else before, and now all of a sudden he's this, and look at his life. And then they see consistency, and they see change, and they see growth, and they're able to say, if that dude can be a Christian, if that dude can turn it all around, so can I. And they're drawn to the gospel, and they're longing for a conversion of their own. We've got to respond to the opportunity that we have to be converted. The second thing I see is we have to respond to to becoming a people of community. Being an intimate relationship with God's people. In the book of Acts, you see it happen all throughout the book. Specifically, the passage everyone looks to when talking about this is obviously Acts chapter 2, 44 through 47. Right? You know, you look at that passage, you're like, that is what church should look like. Francis Chan, what he's saying here is this corporate thing. I don't feel like this is what church should look like. I feel like it should be, really what he's saying is it should be relational, not corporate. And you look at Acts 2, 44 through 47. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and their goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And you see this relationship that takes place. We have got to respond to the call to community that we see in the first century church. People don't want to go sit their butts in a chair on Sunday morning and leave and that's all there there is to it. That's why churches are closing their doors all across our country. Because people are longing for something more. And that something more is not a big stage with a big sound system and a huge band and and a show and, and the biggest, baddest church you can find. That's not what they're looking for. They're looking for a deep, intimate connection. They're looking for that with, with other people, and they're looking that, to that with God. But I believe when you look at the scripture, what you find out is it's very difficult to have a deep, intimate relationship with God and not have a deep, intimate relationship with his people. If you don't believe me, we can talk about it later. I'm not saying that it's impossible, but I'm saying God designed it to be that way. God designed you to be in a relationship like this. Whenever you think about your connection to your, your, your campus ministry or your small group that's a part of your campus ministry, is this the kind of thing that you would say that you've, that you've done? Have you responded to a call of community? To where people look at you and they say, man, that, that guy is so connected to this people. That, that, those people are like his family. There is a deep love there. They didn't meet just on Sundays. They met together. They met in each other's homes. They met daily. They ate together. You know, you go throughout the book of Acts, you see Paul and you see different people living with people in different cities who are brothers and sisters and they're welcoming him and they're loving them and they're taking care of him and they're looking out to make sure he's going to have what he needs when he leaves there. You know, and I think about these things and I look at the, that in our ministries, I want to make sure that we are responding to the call of community that you see in the book of Acts and in the first century church. Because sadly, so many churches completely miss it. You would be shocked at how many guests that we have come to the crossings who come in and they leave, told, their minds are blown. And, and I'm not telling you this to brag. I'm telling you this because it's important. People come in and they're like, and they tell us, they're like, I've never been to a church that was so friendly and so close and loved each other so much. People are hugging me and I don't know these people. And you know, and they're like, and I look around and everybody's laughing, everybody's joking, everybody's hugging. And then I see they're going out to eat together afterwards and I hear them talking about the plans that they're making to go and do something together this, this later this week. And, and they see all these things and they're like, 
what is this? And I'm like, this is church. This is what the church is. The church isn't going to a building and sitting there. The church is what takes place in, uh, with relationship with people who are in relationship with God. And I think about how many times I've seen someone in our church hurting in desperate need. And, and they're like, oh, no, what are we going to do? And everybody's like, what do you mean? It's not a problem. We got this. You know, and everybody pitches in. And the people are taken care of and they're loved. But we get so focused, especially as college students sometimes, it's very easy to get focused on our wants, on our needs, on our desires. I've got a lot of homework to get done. I'm really behind, and I've got this, and I've got that. And, I, and, and, we, and I'm so busy. I've got to work to pay off my student loans, and I've got to do this, and I've got that. And then you look around, and our bro, your brother or sister is sitting there in some kind of pain or in some kind of need. And we just pass by because we're so caught up and consumed by what we desire that we've missed the call for true, intimate community. People looked at the first century church and they're like, these people are weird. And it was a good thing. We should be excited when people look at our relationships and they're like, you guys are kind of weird. You kind of scare me. You kind of freak me out a little bit. When people say that, I don't know if they mean this as an insult, but I'm like, I know, right? And they're like, no, like, you're weird, dude. And I'm like, yeah, right? Come on, join us. Come on, hang out with us. And they're like, no, no, no. And the next thing you know, they're like, this is so cool. I have a relationship. And they're excited. And then their family's like, oh, no, man, that church you're going to is kind of weird. And they're like, just come see. Come see what God's doing. There's something about seeing those relationships, and, and being a part of a community. But you've got to decide that that's what you want. We have to decide that that's what we want in our ministries. One of the things that I love about campus ministry, one of the things I love about our ministry is, to be quite honest, we live, our, 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 uh, our county where the universities that we work with uh, could be described as Whiteyville, all right? <laughs> like, it's the widest place. Like, the, the, it's just like population is just insane, white to black ratio, but it's weird because when you come to the crossings on a Sunday morning, or if you come to one of our campus devos, you look around, you're like, wait a minute, something's not right here because this does not at all reflect the population of this county. This is a diverse group of people, and, not, and then you start noticing, okay, it's not, only, it's not only black and white, and it's not only, you know, Mexican Nico, and it's not only, you know, these different... <laughs> Molly. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's not only that. It's not only that that it's different. It's not only that that, that this... And to be quite honest, guys, in St. Louis, in the St. Louis area right now, that's a powerful testimony. After everything St. Louis has been through in the past few years, to come into a community, to come into a church and see a, a culturally diverse crowd is like, people are like, this is weird. I mean, I've seen a black church before, and I've seen white churches, and I've seen white churches with a couple black people, but this is weird. Like, there's such a diverse crowd. But then you start looking, at, and you've got rich people, and you've got poor people, and you've got the weird kids who play magic, and you've got the, sorry, you guys are weird. You've got, you know, you've got, you know, then you've got the, the popular kids. You've got, and, and then what you start noticing about it is that they're not just in a building together. They're not just in a house together, but they're interacting with each other. And then as the better you get to know them, you find out they're crying together and they're praying together and they're laughing together and they're doing life together because that's the way it was designed to be because that's the call of, of being in a relationship with God. You've been called to be in a relationship with his people. And if you look at your ministry and that is not going on, you're doing it wrong. And you need to go home and you need to have a straight talk with your brothers and sisters and with your campus ministers and say, listen, we're, we don't feel close. 
We don't feel each other's pain when something awful happens. We don't feel each other's joy when there's something to celebrate because we're not close like that. Fix it because we've been called to live in community with God's people. And that's what you see in the book of Acts. But are we going to respond? Are we going to respond to being converted and truly dying to ourselves? Are we going to respond to being a part of an intimate community of people in relationship with one another? And are we going to respond to the call of commitment that you see in the book of Acts? You see all the things that they go through and all the things that the first century church and the apostles are dealing with. And if they were not committed people, they would not stick it out. They are, they are being persecuted like crazy. And I talked about this in my class a little bit earlier, but you look at what's going on in our community, in our, in our, in our country. You look at what's going on in the world. And I'm telling you right now, persecution is not going to get better. It's going to get worse before it gets better. And if we are not committed, we will, we will back down from the things that really matter. And we need to have the guts and the heart and the commitment to say, no, the Bible, God's word says this is wrong. The God's word says this is how I should live. This is what I should do. And I don't care if it's PC or not. I'm going to say and do what God's word says because that's what I've been called to do. And I'm committed to Christ more than I'm committed to pleasing and appeasing people. And your families might not like it. And your professors sure as heck aren't going to like it. Trust me, we've been down that road. But when the Bible says something, guys, when you've been called to something and you've been converted, you committed to something. And you've committed to be something different. You look at Paul and all the hardships he, he goes through. He's thrown out of towns. He's beaten up. He's verbally abused. He goes through shipwrecks. He goes through all these things. And he's still so committed. And we wake up sometimes on a Sunday morning or you wake up before you're supposed to go to one of your Bible talks or cross chats or weekly studies, wherever you call it, and you're like, <coughs> oh, sorry, guys, not going to make it today. I'm real sick. And Paul's up there going, what is wrong with these people? I was stranded. I was shipwrecked. I was beaten. And I was abused. And I still was there. I still showed up because that's what I committed to. I was committed to doing what God asked me to do. You look at all the apostles in general losing, losing Jesus, the main influence in their life, and you look at the hurt that went on there, and then they have to watch, you know, they, they, Stephen is stoned. You don't think that scared them? You don't think that freaked them out a little and going, oh, I know I committed to this, but this is getting a little dangerous. No, they were committed to the call. Is that, is that how you have responded? Are you really that committed? The things that, the things that these men and these women would do and the, 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 the fact that they would lay down their lives for Christ says something powerful. Showed a video earlier that was talking about um, a city in Iraq and it's near the Nineveh Valley and they claim that it's the oldest Christian community in the world. As a matter of fact, they trace it back and they say that Paul started this Christian community in this area in Acts by coming there and converting people. They say it's the oldest one. They're being overran by ISIS. They're being destroyed. They're being killed. They're being beheaded. And these men and women are saying, we are not leaving. We are going to stand here. We are going to stand our ground. We believe God put us here for a reason. And their children are being beheaded. The news story was on all the news channels. It's not something made up. Four kids under the age of 15 were told you deny Jesus or we're going to kill you. And they beheaded all four of them because those kids were committed enough to say, nope, I'm unwilling to do that. And we have it so comfortable over here. 
Yet we, we struggle in our commitment. We need to look back at the first century church and we need to hear the call and we need to respond to the call of commitment that's been given to us. We need to respond in a way that says, man, if my brothers and sisters could endure all of that, I can put up with a little pain. I can, I can, I can fight through the suffering in order to be who God called me to be. And it's time for us to get serious about the things that we've committed to. It's time for us also to get serious, and this is the last one we'll talk about, is it's time for us to respond and get serious about the call of the commission that we've been given. The commission that we've been given to take this to all the world, to take, it, to take the call of Jesus to everyone. Acts 1.8, in the beginning he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And he starts out in one area and he says, but then you're going to go here to this larger area, and then you're going to go to a bigger area than that, and then you're going to spread out farther until you reach the ends of the earth. You're going to take this call to tell people about Jesus everywhere you go. And they did. You see little communities of, of Christianity, of, of little Jesus is popping up all over the place in different areas because they took that call seriously and they responded to Jesus and said, hey, you told us to take you everywhere and that's what we're going to do. And we have a hard time bringing it up to the person sitting next to us in our college algebra class. We have a hard time bringing it up and saying the straight and hard things to the people who we call our friends, who we have coffee with, who we have dinner with, who to our family, who we've lived with. And we're like, man, I just don't want to make them upset and angry and it's so hard. I don't really know what I'm doing. And we're failing to respond to the commission that we've been given. And because of that, people are failing to be converted. And because of that, they're going to be lost. We have been given a great commission. A powerful commission. But we again, we have to decide what are we going to do with that? You know, look around at the, the people around you. I, I know my ministry obviously better than I do others, but I can look right now out in the crowd and I can think, man, if somebody wouldn't have responded to the commission of the Bible, of the word of God, if they wouldn't have followed the example of the people in Acts, I wouldn't have a relationship with that person or that person or that person or that person. And then I could sit here and I could tell you what their lives were like before and I could tell you stories of hurts and I could tell you stories of abuse and all of the awful things that took place in their life. But then I can say, but you know what? Somebody stepped up to the plate. Somebody answered the call. Somebody responded to the commission that they had been given. And because of that, everything is different now. Everything is better now. And we can sit here and we can literally just go down the line. And I can sit here and I'll start with Devin. Am I good talking about this? All right. So I, I didn't ask Devin until just now. So, um, you know, <laughs> but I know their hearts. And, you know, I could sit here with Devin and I could tell you guys about Devin. And I could tell you about some stuff that Devin has done and been involved in that you'd be like, what? And that's the honest truth. You would kind of be probably like, that's kind of weird. And I could tell you about when Devin first came around because somebody decided to say something to him. And I could tell you about him coming on his first trip with our campus ministry. And we're climbing up this hill. And here's Devin coming up this hill behind me. And he's crying like a little girl. Like, for real, crying like a little girl coming up this big hill. And I'm like, and we don't know each other, like, barely at all at this point. Like, yeah, we've had, like, you know, conversations on the way on this trip. That's it. And I turn around, I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, I'm like, dude, knock it off. Like, you're a man. And I said some things that you would only say with a group of men around, you know, and I'm like, get up here and climb up this stupid hill. 
You know, this is ridiculous. You're acting like a child. You're acting like a little girl. Stop. And so finally, you know, we're climbing to the top hill and, you know, I climb back down and me and a couple other guys, we're helping Devin learn how to climb up this huge hill. And we get to the top and Devin's crying and he's looking over this hill and he's like, I just climbed up that hill. And I'm like, it's a hill, dude. Like, you know, it's like big hill, but yeah, whatever. It's a hill. And then we walk down the road and Devin comes over and he goes, hey, I need to tell you something. And Devin walks up to me and he's like, when you were telling me I'm a man and I was born to do these kind of things and when you were having me check to make sure I had the man parts that I have and all those things coming up the hill, because I did, and I told him, I'm like, hey, man, you need to kind of check. Are you a dude or not? Let's go. You know, and, and I was kind of crass teasing with him in a sense, but also being like, seriously, man up, this is crazy. He's like, well, something I haven't told you about myself because I don't know you at all after you just berated me. <laughs> you know, it, I've struggled with wanting to become a woman. And I've struggled with dressing in women's clothes because I've never felt like a man. And for the first time in my life, looking over that hill, I thought maybe God did make me right. And Devin got to sit down and he got to look into God's word and see, no, God made you the way that you're supposed to be made, Devin. And he got to, he got to realize that God has a plan for his life and he can have a great future someday. And his babies are going to have a hot grandma. And... <laughs> <laughs> I had, hey, if you, want to know the jo- if you want to know that joke later, come see me and I'll show you a picture of Devin's mom. Um, but anyway. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. So, you know, I, I had to go there so that way I could not cry and <laughs> move on to the next thing. Um, but, you know, like I said, I could sit here and we could go through person after person after person. And I could tell you about what Whitney was like when we first w- met Whitney. And I could tell you some pretty embarrassing stories of my boo over there. And, uh, and some things that I know about her that would embarrass anybody in this room. But I know somebody stepped into her life and gave her a different opportunity because they took the call of this commission really seriously and they responded to Christ and they did what he said just like the people in the first century. And when we look at the book of Acts this weekend, I hope that you can look around this room and realize that nobody would be in here if somebody hadn't taken seriously the response that they needed to have to be coming what Jesus wanted us to be and that's people who are ambassadors for him, who go out into the world. But you know, the, the, the sad thing about this whole deal is, the sad thing about Acts chapter 28 The sad thing about retreats is we know what tends to happen. You come to a retreat, you get pumped up, you get excited, you talk about the changes you're going to make, and you go home and you don't do jack. And here you got Paul looking at these people, and he says, you know what? This is ridiculous. God's exactly right. The Holy Spirit was exactly right. Isaiah, he knew exactly what he was talking about. You don't listen. You sit there and you're like, yeah, 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 uh uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not what? And then you walk away and nothing ever changes because your hearts are hard and because you're too lazy and you don't care and you don't love God the way that we should. And you, you look at that passage and then you look at Acts 28, 29 through 34, 31. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own, own house, rented, uh, rented house, and welcomed all who came to see him boldly and without hindrance. He preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, this was a group of people that he had been talking to who should have been the people who would listen. They should have been the ones who would take a hold of the Savior, of the Messiah that had been promised for so long. They should have been the ones that were grabbing this and taking off with it and running and saying, hey, you know what? This is the man we've been waiting for forever and you can have it too. And they should have went out with passion and with fire and they should have been excited and they should have done something and they didn't. 
And Paul said, you know what? Fine, I'll go find someone else who will take a hold of this. And this weekend, you have a chance to respond and you get to decide which group of people you are going to be. Are you going to be that group of people who God says, you should be the ones to do this. You should be the ones to respond. You should be the ones that are becoming more like Christ. You should be the ones who are following the example of the first century church, but you're not. So you know what? It's fine because I'll go out and I'll find someone else who will listen. Because he says the Gentiles, they're going to respond. You know, most of you would have been considered that Gentile type of person. And you've responded, but the sad thing is that sometimes over time you become more like these Jewish leaders. The longer you're here, the more comfortable you get, the more set in your ways, the more happy you are with where your life is, that you forget that you are supposed to daily respond, that you're supposed to continually be looking to carry out God's commission in other places, and you stop hearing what God has to say. And you stop responding. And you stop doing the things that you were supposed to do. And God looks and he says, you should be the ones that are doing this. You should be the ones that are responding. And this weekend, that's what we want to let you know, is we want to let you know that we are longing. We are begging. We are, we are dying for you to respond to God in a way that changes everything for you and changes for everything for every single person that you ever come into contact with. But we're, we, um, we're asking you, just please respond to the word of God. Please respond to what he's called you to be to convert your life. Make that decision and say, man, everything I promised God when I was baptized into Christ, that old me was gone and the new me was rising, and I'm, I'm committing, I'm recommitting to that. I want to be truly converted and be completely different than before. I want to commit and respond to being a part of a great community of faith, a great family that loves God and loves each other and loves the lost, and I want to be committed to that. I want to, I want to respond to that commitment that I see in action. I want to become someone who, no matter what's going on in my life, anybody who looks at me says, regardless of what happens to that person, regardless of the ups and the downs, regardless of their strengths or weaknesses, they are forever going to be committed to Christ. And they are forever going to be committed to becoming what he called them to be. And we need to respond to the commission because we should not fit in this room. How many times do we have to talk about this? Why are we still in this stupid room? We should not fit in here. Because if we were all responding to the commission given to us next year, we wouldn't fit in here and we wouldn't fit in here if that wall right there was down. Let's get serious about being people who respond, who do, not who nod our head and are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, let's do those things. Let's become those things. Let's respond to the word of God and let's see what he does. Because I guarantee you, he can do what he did in the first century again. Don't let anybody lie to you and tell you God doesn't work like that again because that's baloney. He works just like that. The problem is we don't work like that. So let's stop and let's look and let's say, it's time for me to respond. It's time for me to be different. I'm going home and next year when I get back, you'll see what my response from this weekend did. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, I just want to thank you again for uh, being a God who allows us to respond. God, you should have gotten rid of us a long time ago. Uh, I'm sure it is extremely, extremely frustrating being you. Uh, God, I know uh, that you're a patient God. But I feel like I, I love my kids greatly, and I feel like I'm pretty patient with my children. But sometimes, God, uh, it can be really frustrating. 
And I know that you look at us, and, and it has to be difficult sometimes, God, because we don't respond to you in the way that you would like us to. We don't lay everything down to be more like your son. God, and I pray that you help us to look at the book of Acts, that we will be people who look and we say, man, it was so incredible to see everything that you did. Such an awesome testimony to read through that and see our brothers and sisters from 2,000 years ago and the kind of courage and guts they had, God. I pray that you can help us to be people who, who are truly converted to you, that our lives have been laid down, and that when we were baptized into you, God, then our sins were forgiven. God, that we are people who are committed to that, that we're committed to your family, we're committed to your commission, God, and that the response that we have in our hearts this year will make a, a massive impact on what this looks like next year. Even at CMU this spring, God, uh, at CMU this spring, it would be so cool to see this explosion of growth over the next few months. And I believe that can happen, God, but only if you, uh, if you help us respond the way that you would have us to. God, help us to repent. God, help us to, to not just be sorry for the fact that we haven't responded in the past the way we need to, but help us to truly repent. Help, help us to have godly sorrow. Break our hearts that says, man, God... Uh, it's not just that I've been caught not doing what I should be doing, God, but it's that I long to be different. Help us to repent. Help us to turn around and go the opposite direction of where we've been headed. Help us to respond in a way that will bring uh, your kingdom, God, that will build it, that will change it. Help us to go away from here with just incredible things, God, so that other people's lives can be touched and can be changed. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.